Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. So, I don't know much, and I never really learned much about proper etiquette. I think I'm getting better at it. I've watched um, all the seasons of Frasier twice. Anybody else ever seen that? Yeah, so I think it's helped me quite a bit. But when I was younger, I was completely caught off by it. I just didn't understand it. See, I just got home from deployment um, in June. Jessica and I bought a house in July, and we got married in August. Yeah, so as you can imagine, those couple of months were very, very busy for us. And when we bought this house, it was a complete disaster. We had to gut everything. I mean, the kitchen, the bathrooms, the carpets, the walls. I mean, there were water leaks everywhere. And if you've ever experienced one of those, you think it's really small. And it turns out it's really big. So you just start tearing everything up. And, you know, with a lot of hard work and a lot of help from friends and family, nights and weekends, we were able to just just gut this entire house and turned it into something we were pretty proud of. And so we would do what you naturally do when you're proud of something. We'd invite people over to come and see it. And so people would come over and they'd bring us gifts. And when they would bring us these gifts, I would feel very uncomfortable. I would feel very uneasy. I'd be like, why are you bringing me something? Like, do you think I need it? Like, I'm trying to read into this. I don't understand. And the weirdest one I got was a cactus. I said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say I'm dry and prickly? I'm like a cactus? Like I was reading way too far into this. I didn't understand it. It wasn't until later I found out that bringing a plant is a traditional housewarming present. And I don't know who came up with these rules of etiquette and how you're supposed to act in all these different situations, but luckily for us, grace, grace got the memo. You see, grace knows the etiquette rules. And that's the picture I want you to have in your mind this morning, that grace has brought a housewarming present. Grace showed up through Jesus Christ. Grace showed up and offered salvation for everyone, but it doesn't stop there. They, grace has brought a gift. You see, last week, if you weren't here with us, or just to recap, if you were, last week we talked all about grace. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It'll be back here on the screen behind you. But this passage is a continuation from last week where Paul turned the corner and he built rapport with the audience. He, he brought up that the one thing we all have in common is the grace of God. That is the starting point for all Christians. We learned that we were living dead people, right? We deserved wrath because of our sin. But then we see, but God, right? But God, he stepped in and did something. He provided something that we did not deserve because of grace. He offers salvation to us all. And we were living dead people, but now Christ has made us alive through faith. And now once we are in Christ, we are his handiwork, we are his new creation, created to do good works for him. See, the overall point of the passage was building rapport, saying, hey, we all have this in common. This is the shared experience for all Christians. We are utterly dependent upon the grace of God for all things. We all need him, and God will not. 
God will not stay out of our lives. But Paul isn't done yet. He's built rapport. He's found common ground. And he built, brings up this idea of grace. But there's a key purpose for this grace. And it's not just to discuss our salvation. We can read these passages, and many of us have many of these verses memorized, the chapter 2, 1 through 10, and we, we just lean in and we get so caught up with the amazing gift of salvation, and, and rightly we should. And Paul would say, yeah, isn't it great? But I'm not done. He would say, the reason I bring up the grace of God, because what I'm about to ask you to do, you're not going to want to do. What I'm about to ask you to do is going to seem impossible what I'm going to talk to you about is going to be extremely hard. So get caught up in grace. But I'm not done. In fact, scholars call this the key and the high point of the whole letter. Meaning everything we've talked about so far was building up to this point, And everything after this point is building back on this big idea. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Anybody ever been on one? Yeah, okay, we got some common ground. See, look, we've been on roller coasters. It, this is like the first hill of the roller coaster where everything is designed to take you up to that first hill. It's the big hill. It's the most important hill. It's, it's usually the fastest. And then everything that happens after that big hill is because of the momentum. You get the point. That's what this is. This is the high point. This is the big idea. So the picture I need you to have is that grace has shown up in your life because of Jesus Christ. But it's brought a house warming present. The new you has this new gift, this new thing that you can experience. But it wasn't a cactus. It was peace. Specifically, relational peace. Grace brings peace so the foundation, the, the bottom line for you this morning, if you fall asleep, you can still talk to your spouse or your friends about what you learned today. It's this. The big idea is the foundation of grace brings relational peace. This is the driving point. This is what I want you to grab hold of because it's hard, because it's not easy, because it's challenging. The foundation of grace brings relational peace. You see, this is what Paul is driving home because the people he's talking to well, they haven't gotten along very well. There were too many differences between them. Let me give you a brief history, and most of you know this difference between the Jews and Gentiles. You see, Jews trace their history back to Abraham. You can read it for yourself in Genesis chapter 12. This is where God calls Abraham and says he's through him and, and through his family, he's going to build a nation out of him to bless the world. And so through their existence, the nation of Israel, they always knew they were the people of God created with a purpose to be his representatives on this earth. And with them being the people of God, it brought a tremendous amount of responsibility. There were great blessings they would receive if they followed him, but there were also great curses if they ignored him. But they were to be his holy nation, to draw people to God through them. And so because of their calling, because of their purpose, they were separated from the rest of the world. The laws and customs that God put in place kind of kept them holy. It set them apart to guard them, to, to watch over them until this nation fulfilled its purpose. And that would be, of course, Jesus Christ. 
So their worldview, the Jewish people, was there are us Jews, the people of God. Well, and then the rest of them. There's us, we're the good ones, and then there's everybody else. I mean, that's a big net to cast there. They're just a little nation. We're the people of God, the rest of you? Eh, not so much. And so as you can imagine, the Gentiles didn't like the Jewish people. I mean, the Jewish people thought they were better than everyone. They thought they had the only one God, which everybody else worshipped multiple gods. So they were like, man, these, these guys are weird. They think they're better than everyone else. They're strange. And the Jewish people, well, they didn't like Gentiles. I think personally because Gentiles could eat bacon, right? Wouldn't that upset you not being able to eat bacon and someone else can? I think that was the big issue. But so they weren't shy. Jewish people weren't shy about the privilege they carried and about how they represented God. So hostility grew. The people were divided. And please hear this next part. For thousands of years... Not 50, not 200. I mean, in our country, we have enough issues, but thousands of years, there was this divide. There was this hostility. And so it grew and grew. And so how do you now bring these people who've had generations upon generations upon generations of differences, how can you bring Jews and Gentiles now together? Grace. Grace has brought a gift. Peace. Foundation of grace brings relational peace. Look at look it with me. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circum circumcised, which is done by the human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope, without God in the world. He says, therefore, remember, remember, we just talked all about grace, the last 10 verses. So now he's talking to Gentiles. He said, remember, you were separated from Israel. You were without hope. You didn't have God. So he calls them to remember grace, remember who you used to be. Now, in Philippians, Paul tells us to forget what's behind. He's not contradicting himself here. When he says forget what's behind, he's talking about forget all those human accomplishments that you've done, all those things that made you prideful, all those things that you thought made you better than other people. Here he's saying, remember who you were without Christ. Remember your starting point. Remember that you need him too. Because the idea is we all start the same way. That's, that's grace. In order to have relational peace, you and I have to remember that we've all lived hopeless lives. This is the one thing that every church member, every Christian has to remember. We can get so caught up in being the moral police and worrying about moral codes that we can forget what it's like to be without Christ. In other words, as Christians, we can never forget, we cannot expect non-Christians to hold our values, to hold our morals, and to be Christians. But we can't expect Christians to act like Christians. But Paul calls them. He says, remember who you were. Remember what life was like before Christ. He says, but now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. You see, Jesus, Jesus is our peace. Remember last week we learned that all of us were deserving of God's wrath because of our sin. But he stepped in, God stepped in and did something about it. And so he's continuing this idea of what we deserve versus what we get because of Jesus. And now he's wrapping that whole idea up by just saying Jesus is our peace. Because of that wrath that he satisfied, because of what he's done. You see, the blood of Christ has brought peace to those in Christ. Christ is our peace. He brings people who weren't together, he brings them together. All of those, idea that once, all those ideas that once kept the Gentiles out that said they couldn't be the people of God, all of that is gone. All of it's been fulfilled in Christ. Now we can all come together. All people are welcome to be the people of God because of the Messiah, because of what Jesus has done. The thousands of years of separation has been undone because of Jesus Christ. Continuing 15, his purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making, there's our word for the day, peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, one of the key ideas about the cross is this idea of reconciliation. I hope you've heard of that before. It's that we are reconciled to God because of Jesus, meaning that relationship that was broke has been restored because of what he's done. But did you know reconciliation doesn't stop there? Reconciliation now extends to those around us, that we are reconciled with God because of Jesus, but now we should be reconciled with each other because of Jesus. Because Christ has put to death the hostility, all that anger, all that things that you think people deserve. Christ has put that to death. See, we are reconciled to God because of Jesus' mercy and love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance and all the stuff that we love to talk about. But it doesn't stop there. We then extend that same mercy and grace and forgiveness and love to others. You see, our faith is just as much about our interaction with each other as it is with God. Our faith is all about other people. Ideas, remember, you and I, we all get in the same way. We all become God's people through the cross of Jesus Christ. And together now, because of the Messiah, we form this new people, the new people of the Messiah. All the things that used to separate us, all the things that used to divide us have been taken care of because of the cross. All those things that used to tear you apart have now been taken care of in the cross. The cross is a message of peace. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. See, the message of the gospel is peace. Peace to those who are far. Peace to those who are close. All of us can experience the same message of peace because of Jesus Christ. And our context is so different, it's hard to really grasp what he's saying here. But picture it this way. Let's say you grew up in a Christian home. 
Let's say your parents raised you well. Your parents brought you up in church. You heard the Bible. You were raised with good values. You were great, raised with great morals. Let's say you were those who were kind of close to God. And then those who were far away and you weren't raised in a Christian home. You didn't see good values. In fact, everything your parents did made you run from the church. Let's say you were far away. He says, no, we all have access. We all can come to Christ. It doesn't matter where you were before him. It doesn't matter whether you were near or far away. Because of Jesus Christ, he brings you peace with God and with each other. Both have access to the same God through Jesus Christ. Which means peace is possible. We no longer have to be divided by cultural issues. We no longer have to be divided by how we were raised or where we were from or where we talked or what we looked like. We no longer have to be divided by that because we are unified by Christ. We're not unified by where we come from or how long we've been somewhere. We're unified by Jesus Christ. Which means not only is peace possible, Peace is expected. This isn't just good advice Paul's giving. This is the key to this entire letter. That peace is possible and expected by those who know Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So everyone now can be a part of the family of God. All of us are citizens, which means we have equal rights. No matter where we're from, no matter what you've done, you can be a part of the children and, be, excuse me, be a child of God through Jesus Christ. Which means if we can all be a part of it, we all are a family. That's how he describes it. We are a family of God's, these members of his household. And the great thing about this family is we no longer have to have this civil rivalry. Anybody have brothers and sisters? Anybody have kids? Civil rivalry drives me crazy with my three kids. It drives me absolutely crazy. But you see, you know why we don't have to do that? Because Jesus Christ has already said, I am in charge. I am the one. You don't have to worry about where you stand because I am greater. I am the one. So all of that stuff's gone. All this stuff we have to worry about is gone because of Jesus. Because it is his house and it's his household, there are certain rules we have to go by. So everybody, right, perhaps you do too, everybody has rules specific to their house, don't they? For me in my house specifically, we have this rule of no running up and down the steps. Anybody else have that rule? Yeah, so no matter what kid comes to our house, there is no running. And the first time they run, I stop and say, hey, we don't run. They say, well, I do it at my house. I said, well, guess what? You're not at your house. You're at my house, and we don't run here. Well, Brian, that's harsh. Well, no, you weren't there when we watched our daughter fall down the steps looking very helpless, lifeless, you know, her teeth busted out of her mouth and what we had to go through when all of that happened. So that rule is set for a purpose, right? You've probably experienced things like that. So our house, this is it. And this is the idea. We are a part of God's household. He is the one that not, now rules, not you, not me. He is the one that holds it together. 
He is the cornerstone, but it's built on the teachings, the foundations, uh, excuse me, it's, it's built on the apostles, the prophets, or the foundation, which is God's word. And how do we interact then? What is his rule? Peacefully. Peacefully. And it doesn't matter what you were taught. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter how entitled you think you are. When you come to God's house and you're part of his household, peace is what he has asked. There's a reason. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, we can miss this, but I need to bring this to life to you. The picture is that you and I, as a church, we're becoming and being built to the temple of the Lord. Which at first glance, it's like, why is he changing the subject now talking about a temple? But he isn't. Here, pay attention. This is a big deal. You see, the temple was the visible sign of God dwelling in the midst of the world. The big idea of the temple was this is God's dwelling place. God is doing something. The temple is no longer... So now what Paul is saying is that the temple used to be the visible sign of God dwelling and God moving. Now the visible sign of God dwelling and God moving is the peace within his body. That is now the sign. That is now what's put on display. Not an elaborate building, but a peace within different people from different cultures who have nothing in common other than grace of Jesus Christ. You see, together in our unity, we show the presence of God. The foundation of grace brings relational peace. It says, remember who you were. Remember, we all get in the same way by the cross. And together, together we show the presence of God. That gives us three application points this morning. Number one, you should have known this one was coming. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. This is a choice that you and I have to make. We all face turmoil. We all have feelings. We can all get aggravated. But being a peacemaker is a choice. And so I ask you this morning, do you choose peace? Or do you choose something different? While this will come easier for some than others, look at what Jesus said. It couldn't be any clearer than this. In fact, it's already there. Blessed are the what? Right, peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Listen to this. If you've tuned out, you're not paying attention, come back in for one second. Come on, this could change your life. Listen. You are living as a role, as a child of God, when you are bringing what? Peace. You are living as a child of God when you are being a peacemaker. Rather than, well, let's look at the antonyms for this. Disagreement, agitation, discord, disharmony, distress, frustration. I mean, I want to ask you this seriously. How do people describe you? Do you bring people together? Do you bring tough situations, you know, for being harmonious and just, and just bringing things? And I'm, and I'm not asking how do people describe you when you get what you want or when things go your way. But what about when things don't go your way? What about when you feel that something is wrong? 
What about when you don't like something? Do you pride yourself in destroying? Do you pride yourself in tearing things up? Jesus says, no. You are more like me when you were bringing peace. You were living into your role as a child of God when you were bringing peace. Your peace will be seen by others and they will recognize the Father. Think about this. No matter what we claim, no matter what we say, it's in those moments, it's in those hardships. And I get it, I'm a father. I know how I react when things don't go my way. Like, I get this. But we're called to be peacemakers. I should represent my father well to my children. Be a peacemaker. Jesus says, when you're bringing peace, then you're representing your father well. Number two, we see the new you isn't just you. It's with others. This is kind of the hard part there. The new you isn't just you, it's with others. Being a peacemaker involves community. In Christ, we have community. Christ tells us to build relationships up and to carry each other's burdens. Through Christ, did you know we are considered a new race? The people of God in Jesus Christ. The Messiah's people, which means our faith has always been meant to live in community with others. We believe that the most important thing in your life is intimacy with God, without a doubt, through Jesus Christ. But the second most important thing in your life is in community with others. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ will drive you into community with others. There is not one Bible verse or story that will get you out of that fact, I promise you. It will always drive you into relationship with other people. And have you committed to a church? Have you committed to a body of believers? Have you committed to a small group of people who are helping you grow in your faith? Or maybe a larger group of people who you do Bible studies with? Have you really committed to have those relationships? Say, Brian, well, I'm a loner. Yeah, I know. But Jesus Christ has brought what? Peace. He's brought us together into community, and we can't grow without it. We will never live to our fullest potential and be the people who God called us to be outside of our community. We need each other. So I want to encourage you to get involved in the church. Get involved with a small group of people. Don't be a lone ranger Christian. I promise, needing people isn't just for children and teenagers. It's for all of us. We need people. So find that group. And then lastly, all people are welcome to the church. And you already knew that. All people are welcome to the church. But you see, Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings are the most segregated time in our country. By color, by age now, by music preferences. Church, we divide over everything. That's one of the main reasons we came together as a church, to be different, to be unified. This is very hard. Humans naturally reject things that are different. We naturally reject things that make us uncomfortable. 
to complicate it even worse, when we come together in a church, many of you have been here your entire lives and grown up with people your entire lives, and we can naturally just drawn to pe be people we know. But may we never forget that all people should be welcome into the church. And when you come to church, I ask you, it's a little challenging. But when you come together, and when we gather together, do you gravitate towards the people you know? that you just saw the other day, that you'll see throughout the week? Or do you gravitate towards people you don't know? Remember, I see you every Sunday, right? I see who you talk to, but, but are we naturally welcoming? What I mean is when we don't know people, when people may be different, when they may sound different, do we gravitate toward them and make them feel welcomed? I don't know if you know this, but going to a new church can be scary. I mean, did you know Christians can be weird? Yeah, I know. It can be scary. So there's nothing better than when you go to a new place, a new place of worship that people are welcoming. And Paul says, remember when you didn't know anybody? Remember when you were alienated? Remember that? So we have to be a welcoming church, a church that's open to all people, no matter where you're from. No matter how much money you make, no matter what your education is, no matter what color, we have to be a place that's welcoming to everybody. So, Brian, that's, that's hard, I know, but Jesus Christ has made that possible. He's not telling us to do something on your own. He's telling us that this is possible because of Jesus, because it's what he gives us and what he will do for you. You see, church, we should be the most peaceful place on the planet. The church should be the most peaceful place on the planet. We should teach and value peace because of grace. We should teach others how to find inner peace to deal with all that stuff they got going on through Jesus. And to teach them how to be peaceful in their everyday life. You see, every person, if you didn't know this, I promise you it's a fact, every person is in desperate need of peace. Everybody wants peace. And a peaceful place will get the attention of all outsiders. Can we be honest for a minute? We're in church. Our church is known for being peaceful. They're known for fighting and arguing and being divisive. I mean, how do you talk about your church? What do you hear? I remember when we were at a soccer game with my kids. This is before we, we combined service, so it wasn't us, thank goodness. But we were at a soccer game, and we heard some people in the corner talking about how their church was talking about combining services and how terrible the pastor was. I was like, me and Jess were looking at each other. I was like, do they go to First Baptist? <laughs> we're not sure. Like, is that me? I wanted to go talk to them, but I wasn't sure. I was like, what's, what's going on? But I was like, you know, then I saw them the next week, and they were handing out cupcakes for their church. And I went, maybe you shouldn't have just been talking about how terrible it was and how terrible your pastor was because that's what we heard and all the people around. So just be careful. Are you representing the church well? And this isn't just a little issue. Lean in for one second. This is the issue. This is a big issue, perhaps the issue above all issues. Before Jesus goes to the cross in John chapter 17, he prays for his disciples, then he prays for all believers. I want you to look at this. It's a couple of verses. Just stay with me. This is his prayers for all believers of all time. That is you and me. 
Look at what he says. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, so that what? The world may what? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete right, unity. Then the world, then the world, because of unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What does that mean? Jesus prays for the unity of our churches. Why? Because it is through the unity of our churches that people will believe in Jesus Christ. It is through the unity of a church people will come to know him. Listen, here's what he's saying. The most effective outreach method for a church, it's not VBS, it's not Easter egg hunts, it's not mohawks, it's not smoke machines, it's not hymns, it's, it's none of this. The most effective outreach method for a church is unity. Unity. That's what Jesus says. And, and I tend to believe him. That it's through our unity people will believe in him. Why is this? Because this is why churches are ineffective with the gospel. They're not unified. People aren't impressed by conflict. People aren't impressed by bickering. Andy Stanley said this quote. I heard it a couple weeks ago. I love it. He says this. He says, there can be a lack of unity in the local church, and it can survive. But if there's a lack of unity, the will of God will not be accomplished in a church. And I thought about that. It made me chew on us at church. Do we want to survive or thrive? There's a massive difference. You see, the gospel is at stake here. The effectiveness of our churches is at stake by unity. And here's the thing, church, there isn't a better time. This was written 2,000 years ago. And there isn't a better time to get this right. Peace, people are desperate for a peaceful place. People are desperate for a peaceful place. I've seen how many peas I threw in there. But people are. We live in a time where our country is radically divided. We're divided by politics. We're divided by... Po we're, doesn't matter what you turn on, people are completely divided. We have divided communities. We have divided families. We have divided workplaces. I mean, everybody is in conflict. What that means, church, is we have a better opportunity than ever to show peace. We have a better opportunity to show unity. We can say, yeah, we know what goes on out there. We understand how that is. We know it's hard, but hey, let me bring you to a place of refreshment. Let me bring you to a place where you will be built up rather than tore down. Let me bring you to a place where people get along even though they're different. Ah, oh, that's the church. And it all starts with grace. It's the foundation of peace foundation of grace brings relational peace. So I say all that to say, be a peacemaker.
Get involved with other people. Don't be a lone ranger. Don't think you got it on your own. You don't. If Jesus needed 12, I don't know how many of you and I need, but it's a whole lot more than that. Get involved with community. I mean, commit to a Sunday school, a small group. Say, hey, I'm in this. Because the new you isn't just you, it's with others. And let's remember to be welcoming and opening to all. Because there isn't a better time in this world and in our country than today to be peaceful and make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've done so many things through Jesus Christ. Father, when we were completely undeserving of anything good, you stepped in and saved us through Jesus. Through him, we are now at peace with you. Our debt has been paid. We are so thankful that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be your children. So, Father, I pray now through your Holy Spirit that we act like your children and represent you well. That we are peacemakers. And through those efforts, we are known to be your children. Father, our country, our world, our workplaces, our families are so divided. And I pray that we are intentional about showing and sharing the gospel through our unity here at First Baptist Church. I pray that you allow each of us to feel the weight and the importance of being a peacemaker. And I pray that you lead us to become unified, a unified gospel-driven church. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So if you're new here, or maybe you haven't been here for a while, you're like, what in the world got into the preacher? Like, what is going on? Nothing. This was written 2,000 years ago where people were divided and people were having problems. The thing is, the church hasn't changed. People haven't changed. We still need the gospel to bring us together. That's the idea. So as we go into this time, we're going to celebrate communion. The